0: Hello, everyone. This is Lucas Reese. This is another episode of React Roundup podcast. And today we have our guest, Florian Rival. Hello, Florian.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello.
2: Hey, folks. I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up, I build the website out, I've been using a system called 11DJS, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you wanna pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you wanna collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend, and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So, if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back end without having to actually program the back end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com.
0: So, Florian, first of all, tell us about your background, who you are, what do you do, and why did you become world famous?
1: Uh, Well, sure. I'm currently a software engineer at uh, Facebook, so working and living in London since uh, about uh, one year. And previously, I've been uh, working quite a lot with uh, React Native, making mobile applications while I was working in Paris. So I was quite an uh, early adopter of React Native. I remember starting. Uh, using it when the Android version was just open sourced, so fun fun times, and uh, yeah, in my in my spare time I am I'm making a game engine. It's called GDevelop, and it's a, it's an application that people can use to create games without uh, having to program. So there is some kind of visual programming, and that I think it's quite interesting. And uh, I even done a game with it. It's called the uh, Little Bob Hello Halls. And uh, it's uh, it's available on iOS, Android, and on desktop, and it's made so all in uh, all in JavaScript actually.
0: That's interesting. So you have like a job at Facebook, which I'm sure like you work <laughs> a lot, and it's really interesting to see like a side project that is as complex as GDevelop. So <laughs> it's like that application is an example of a really complicated domain. That you're doing like an application that is also has a, a really uh, complex result. Can, so can can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I guess the the way I do it is that uh, basically I'm spending a lot of time uh, developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after work to to get a bit of rest, I like to work on my side projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, should I talk about to develop more? And you can adjust yeah, yeah. it,
0: it. Talk a little bit so so we can understand what. Mm. The,
1: and uh, and to talk more about GDevelop, I first had the idea when I was younger, in fact, and I have been using some kind of uh, visual editor to create games like this. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested. That's oh, I maybe started programming. And I was like, yeah, uh, that's interesting. man. maybe we could take it to the next level by not having something that is simple for just simple game, but some that would enable anyone to create games with something that is visual programming uh, but still as efficient as programming let me explain so in the editor you have uh, this uh, level editor where you can put your your images and create objects and you can put text and any kind of sprites and so on so you design the level of your game like this and my idea was that Behind the scene, to create the rules of the game, you could have a set of events. So events are uh, conditions and actions. For example, a condition can be a collision between mm-hmm. the object player and the object obstacle or enemy. Um, and then you can launch actions. Action could be create an object explosion at the at the position of the player, and then uh, add wonder. The 100 to the variable score so there's this is in a in a way programming but done in a way that you can read it as english and people are able to see the list of conditions and actions that are available and to mix them together to create their own rules so it's something that is particularly interesting for artists or people that want to begin development because they can quickly pick up game creation and i've also seen People that are more experienced, uh, and even me, I try to create a game, as I said, with it, and it's, it's working, so it's, it's scaling.
0: That's interesting. So you're creating like a, a really high-level game creation tool.
1: Yes, right? yes, that's it.
0: Yeah. Uh, as a parenthesis now, a small parenthesis, it's so, it's so interesting how, I, I don't know a lot about game development, but it's so interesting how there are a lot of tools like that for game development. And my world is like web development, and there is not many
1: tools like that for, for web. Why why do you think it is? Yeah, it's true. Well, on the other side, we are starting to see things like uh, Webflow, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe other tools. But I have forgot the name. Um, uh-huh. Frigor so- X. And things yeah, like. yeah. For example, uh, frameworks is particularly interesting because you can actually use real React components inside inside the, your prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why it's more prominent in game development. Maybe because mm-hmm. there is more uh, a need interesting need for level design. So you have to get an editor, and then adding all the logic is something that uh, that I or other people came up with later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I guess that, yeah, maybe for web development and application development, we're still in in need of more complex business logic and algorithm and state management that we can only achieve with code. Well, at least for now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So back to, to GDevelop. So GDevelop is uh, an editor for games that it's like uh, really interesting, but it's a, it's a desktop application. Yes. So, but you use uh, web technology to make it. So is it a normal Electron app? And how was it before? I know that there was a, a big change, right? So tell me a little bit about this change.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting story because when I started it, so it's a, it's a long-running side project. I have started mm-hmm. it like maybe 10 years ago. So the, the, the first versions were actually all written in C++, and mm-hmm. I've been searching for a cross-platform uh, way of making interface. So I, mm-hmm. set, I settled on something called WX Widgets. It's a library in C++ mm-hmm. for making cross-platform applications. Okay. It was working kind of well. I mean, for years, the editor was written in this, and was outputting native games, so compiling C++ on the flight. So all the events that you were creating were compiled to simple C++ code. Then I've seen that as WebGL and all this technology were emerging, why not change the export to instead export games to web? So that's when I started, well, basically remaking the game engine, only the, the portion of the game engine for JavaScript to run on the web and having uh, all the rendering done in WebGL. It's done with pixie.js. Check it mm-hmm. out if you want to make them. It's really easy to use and really performant. So that's how it went again for a few years. And at some point, I was like, OK, I've been using React and React Native a lot to make application for tons of people and, and, uh, and, uh, and startups or big companies. Would be interesting if we could use it for making this desktop application. We are seeing more and more web applications like Google Docs, uh, even the Spotify UI on desktop is done in HTML, CSS, and, and JS. So I was like, let's try to see if we could reuse what I have and run it in a web browser or run it in Electron so that I still have an mm-hmm. application that can access to the native file system.
0: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the whole Microsoft Office is now JavaScript, right? So...
1: Yeah, they're they're working with React actually for the office UI yeah. uh, at least at least on the web. I've seen that the the new Outlook web app is in React. Um, first thing that I've done that I've done when they they publish it that I opened it and look uh, with the React uh, debugger and it was <laughs> React. I was really happy.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So you were starting to export games to the web, and then you start thinking like, why do I not? write the editor itself in the web so exactly what was your, your goal was just be like as universal as you can so people can run wherever? or do you think like the actual like developer experience of the web is better than the one?
1: yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a mix of various of reasons so we often see the the reason of the developer experience uh, it's true and it's a really big advantage I can explain more about this later, but having things like storybook or development where you reload your components, those kind of things make you super fast. But the, the idea was also that uh, I believed that I could do a better app using web technologies than what I had before. So I, I had a few problems, uh, if I had not, uh, well, I could have continued on the native toolkit. My main problems was that, yeah, development was slow and the... Honestly, all the, the, the UI and the UX of the application could have been improved quite a lot. I was limited to all UI components. And for example, there was not this notion of components. So I have to design every dialogue and window from scratch every time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I could reuse things and make... So it was harder to make an experience for the user that was really streamlined. Um, it was... Still, the old way of making UI with a lot of window opening, not mm-hmm. a lot of reusab- reusability. Um, so that's how I was like, said. So oh, I started to to think maybe web technologies could help.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's interesting. So another small par- parenthesis here. Sometimes we are uh, as web developers, we're like too like inside of our world, and we look at the flaws of our world it's very close to us, like, we're always, like, complaining about things, like, oh, we need to bundle things, oh, the browsers are different, but you're you're right. Like, if we compare to other worlds, there's so many good things about uh, web development today, right? Then, like, comparing to, like, a native develop C++ development, people, like, the feedback loop is really tight, and we have all these good frameworks to work with components, so it's
1: interesting, yeah. You, you said the, the, the proper word with feedback loop, I guess. That's something that is really important when you want to get speed while, develop, while developing. It's to get a, a quick yeah. feedback, feedback loop. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's true that sometimes, uh, yeah, I see that uh, people are struggling with bundlers and, ho- and so on. And I've been too. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> has been. Um, yeah. But still, when you see it from the outside... Um, it's not that bad. For example, I've been I've been looking at uh, and I've been impressed by the npm ecosystem. Again, we are we are a lot of time saying, "Oh yeah, JavaScript you installed thousands of thousands of packages," and I agree mm-hmm. that there can be some security concerns. But on the other side, if we're able to tackle this problem of security. Then we are, we are left with an ecosystem of thousands of packages that can rely on each other. And so you can build new things on top of each other. Yeah. It's, it's the dream of open source that we mm-hmm. finally managed to yeah. get. And it's not something... I, now when I'm back to doing some C++, I'm like, wow, I miss a package manager to, to easily share code. I cannot share a simple function that takes a, a URL and make a slug of it. It's simple. It should be in a package manager, and I don't care if I rely on tons of tons of other modules because they are done in a better way than what I would do by myself.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, web development is perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, so you you chose like to, to do to use web technologies for GDevelop. So I understand that. So my view, if I if I'm if you if you're telling me that. My first concerns would be okay. So you have a C++ uh, application and you are rewriting it in React Web to use an Electron. So my first concerns, okay. So we know that probably your application is very like graphics intensive in a way that is not like forms here and there. The so it's like yeah, you're yeah, yeah. actually like creating a bunch of images. And we know that sometimes JavaScript and the DOM cannot be as performant for for that situation. And React, on top of that, can, like the virtual DOM uh, algorithm, can make things even slower for this particular use case. So you're not going full web, are you? Full JavaScript, I mean.
1: Yeah, I mean that has been my fear for a bit of time. So at some point I was like, okay, uh, as as I said, uh, web development and web technologies are getting to a, a state where they are really powerful. Why not trying to to rewrite the application all uh, in no. JavaScript and React? Um, so first thing is it was like I've done a lot of. Business logic, in a way, all the classes to uh, describe the structure of a game and Mm -hmm. all the tools to take this game and compile it to JavaScript. All of this is the the, the game generation, basically. Mm -hmm. I cannot do it again uh, because, basically, I'm going to break all the backward compatibility, uh, make tons of bugs, and I have something that is already working. So Mm -hmm. I was more interested in redoing the the interface. Still, Mm -hmm. as you said, even on the interface... At first, I was like, okay, is React and JavaScript uh, and the DOM, are they going to scale for my use case of having mm-hmm. an application where you can open a window with a window with another window on top of it? It's maybe not the best practice when you're making a, web, a website. Mm-hmm. But still, in my case, I'm not making a website, but I'm making an application. So at this point, I was wondering, can I do it? So I just tried. So I went okay. ahead and created a first prototype of what could be the, the, new, the new interface, it was back in the years when Angular 1 was hooked. So I did the first version with Angular 1. Oh, wow. And, um, and it went. It, it, it was working. So the idea that I did um, more or less a, a similar interface in Angular 1, it was very limited compared to the native application that GDevelop was at the time. And the idea was everything that was in the C++, existing C++ code base of GDevelop, I... Um, I removed everything that was related to the interface. So I was done with only the core classes, mm-hmm. the classes that are describing a game and allowing to, to move it to, to um, a JavaScript game. And using these classes, I run a compiler on it, which is called mScripten. mScripten, which is a project made uh, that start, was started at Mozilla. and Mozilla, sorry, It's a really interesting project that takes your C++ code run it to a compiler, it's a LLVM, so Clang, um, a C++ compiler, and outputs WebAssembly. And um, at this time, to be, to be precise, it wasn't WebAssembly, it was ASM.js, which is a subset of JavaScript that can be run by browsers, because it's JavaScript, and um, that can be optimized by browser to run at more or less a native speed. So when I first seen this project, this was for me the solution to my problem. I have an outdated application. I have a huge C++ code base, but I don't want to write it. So let's, let's take it, let's run it through Amscripten, get a JavaScript or later a WebAssembly module. And finally, let's redo a nice React interface on top of it.
0: Ah, okay, so the interface, the graphics, you actually went like full JavaScript, full, full web. And it was more like the engines and the exporting parts that you, were, that you wanted to, to use it from, from C++.
1: Yes, at some point I, w- I wondered, wow. could I take the existing interface in, uh, so the library was WX widgets, as I said, and make a, some kind of port so that it can render maybe in WebGL, something like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting because I've seen examples example of this being done using another library. It's called a Qt. It's, um, mm-hmm. So Qt5 is a library that you can use in C++ to make applications. And they actually went this way and they were able to, to render application made using Qt on a canvas on, on the web using WebGL or at least uh, uh, some kind of rendering. But performance weren't there. Okay. So it's uh, maybe not the best solution.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. So we have two, two issues here. So we have, first of all, you have the integration with your C++ code for logic, and then you have the React interface. And now that you tell me that it's like full React interface, I'm really impressed with the performance that, that you got to it. So two separate subjects. Let's start with the WebAssembly one. So today, how are you using your C++ code in this web uh, application?
1: So, uh, yeah, both, both subjects are interesting. Uh, let's talk about the direct performance later. <laughs> um, in the case of WebAssembly, so I still have on the repository of the application mm-hmm. uh, all the, the core that is in a folder called core, mm-hmm, and yeah. which is uh, 100% C++. And that contains, uh, as I said, all the, 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 um, the business logic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so these classes, um, you can, once you've removed everything that is related to the file system and to the interface, it's a more or less a bare-bones C++ code with classes doing a, few, a bit of logic. And this, you can run it through Emscripten. So Emscripten, when you want to try it, you download the SDK, um, install the latest uh, development tools, and then you have something called EMCC, which is a compiler that you can run on a C or C++ file. And instead of outputting an executable file, you get the WebAssembly module. So that's basically how it works. In my case, I was using a tool called CMake, which is kind of well-known in the C++ world. Lots of projects are using it as a tool chain for for building the project. So in my case, I modified the the CMake project to use EMCC instead of the classical uh, GNU compiler or Clang. So by doing this and doing, I must admit, quite a a Mm -hmm. few adaptations, you get some module that is running. This is only the first part because, yes, you need to run your, your, your code, but you need to interact with it. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to do bindings. So yes. bindings, yeah. is not something you, you can do, it, do them in Rust or any other language that are combining to WebAssembly. You have to do these bindings. So here, I could explain more, but, but basically, you go through your classes and write um, in another language the, the interface of your classes, and Epscripten will be creating the same classes in JavaScript so that you can uh, call to the WebAssembly world using them.
0: Ah, that's interesting. So you write in the C++ uh, file, you write how you're going to expose it to, to, the, to the outside world.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are multiple solutions. There is one called mBind mm-hmm. that, is, um, that is doing this. So you write your, your bindings in a C++ using macros and some kind of dark magic. Mm-hmm. At the end, you get something that is uh, outputting JavaScript classes. Ah, okay. And the other solution, in my case, I've used something called WebIDL. It's also bundled with Emscripten. You write some the interface in a in a Java-like language, and then uh, same thing. And goes through your classes and creates the glue code that mm-hmm. is calling C Web, that is calling WebAssembly from JavaScript.
2: I'm I'm going to yeah. chime in here real quick, Yes, <laughs> Yeah, please. I, I got here a little bit late. Sorry about that. I had to run and get some blood drawn. And this was oh, the only time I could do it because I had to do it fasting. <laughs> and I had to drive my kids to school. But anyway, um, so one thing that I'm trying to figure out here, and you may have already talked about this, is how this all connects to React, right? Are you writing React in C++ then? Or, you know, that, how, how does this all tie together?
1: Yeah, so the idea was from this native application that was existing, oh, I could use web technologies to port it to the web and to have it redo it in a, in a way on the web, uh, because I've, I've been using a, a lot of React and React Native to make application, and I was like, the approach of React is better, and I think that now that I have this native application but that is getting old and, and, and dirty, could I port it to the web to have a game engine, a game creator that is running on the web uh, with an interface made using React, which is much more efficient to to oh. to, to develop, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I was searching, and that was the first part that we were talking about about a way for not rewriting everything, because things know. So <laughs> yeah. remaking the interface in React, I, f- I was feeling that it would be a good thing because, honestly, the UX of the whole application, it was terrible. So let's remake the interface. But still, I need a way to connect this with my existing code base. I don't want to rewrite all the core, the mm-hmm. classes that I'm doing the, you do the EV right. logic.
2: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So...
0: So, uh, more about the, the WebAssembly. So, now that you are working with it, what do you think are the use cases for that? So, like I, I understand, this first one is is pretty probably this uh, your use case is the most obvious one. You have a bunch of C code, yeah. you don't want to write it again. But are there other use cases that that you see like for WebAssembly use
1: today? Yeah, uh, I think that it's not something that you're going to use for making a world application, but rather to maybe improve the performance of your application at some point. So there is an application made by some uh, Google developers that is called uh, Squoosh.app. I can send you the link later. This application, it's uh, uh, it's a web application that you can use to resize and uh, shrink the size of your images. So you upload an an image, and on the client side, it's making all the transformation to reduce the size of, of your image. So that's a good use case for WebAssembly because you're running native, uh, native code at almost a full speed to mm-hmm. do the transformation on images. I can think of this. I can think of other things like reusing a physics library or a mm-hmm. 3D rendering library. I can think of games, of course, uh, games because uh, games exported from Unity can run in WebAssembly maybe or should at some point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we'll see. And what else?
2: Is the yeah. performance on these kinds of apps though comparable to what they would be like on a desktop? Is WebAssembly that fast or that
1: um, efficient? Not sure about the latest um, benchmarks, but I I remember that at the time it was not WebAssembly but asm.js you could get something mm-hmm. that is that native was twice as fast as uh, asm.js that means that uh, you were still uh, half of the performance that you could get. But not 10 times. You know, it was okay. only twice below the peak right. performance. I hope, I cannot check it, but I hope that WebAssembly is now on par with native, maybe one third slower. I have to check.
2: Depending on the app, it may or may not matter too. So. Yeah,
0: probably like if you're not rewriting Red Dead Redemption, probably it's not. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that, uh, yeah that's interesting also like since you are still like inside a browser maybe there is a cost that you cannot avoid sure. there, right? sure.
1: i think we will never be as fast as a desktop application yeah. but we'll be fast enough so that nobody's care mm-hmm. so yeah for a game we are actually caring because every frame per second is important in my case it was for running running more or less the business logic and i think that most applications we are doing are mm-hmm. not that concerned by performance Except when it comes to animation of this kind of things, mm-hmm. but WebAssembly is for running. You know, EV computations basically, nice. and this EV computation, um, one second more or less, that should be fine. If okay. that's for animation or games, yes, there are, there is surely improvements to be done.
0: I don't have any experience uh, with WebAssembly, but one thing that that I imagine is that maybe the amount of code that you deliver is is really large because. Our web applications today, they are like absurdly small if you think about it. Like even like, even if you have like a one megabyte application that we think like, oh my God, it's a super sin to have a one megabyte application. If you think about what these web applications do, one megabyte is like nothing, right? I imagine that if you're delivering WebAssembly stuff, uh, you need to deliver a lot together because you're not leveraging the web APIs and stuff. So is are the bundle sizes
1: like... Yes, that's a concern. That's a concern. Uh, uh, I mean, code splitting and all those nice things that we get, can get using Rollup uh, or, or Webpack or any bundler, and uh, that you can use in, in React or other frameworks. At least for now, we can't get them in WebAssembly. So in my case, I'm I'm sending a payload of maybe one more than one megabyte during application loading, mm-hmm. containing all the the WebAssembly code. Honestly, uh, I don't care too much because yeah. I'm not, new, you know, a, a news website that must load really fast. It's a full-fledged application, so yeah, yeah. the user is waiting one or two seconds more. Uh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see, I see that because I th- there's one project. I don't. I don't have the name of the project here now because uh, we use a lot of C# Sharp for backend in, in, at Zocdoc, the company I work for. And there is one project that is C# Sharp compiles to to WebAssembly. But the interesting thing is, like you can use like the DLLs and everything that that you have today, it will compile to WebAssembly. But all this code was not written with like bundle size in in in, yeah. in there. <laughs> so it's you're getting like code that was written they they knew they could deliver like hundreds of megabytes to the user without a problem, right? And now you you translate it to WebAssembly and it's like this huge bundles. But you're right. If you're if you're creating an application, if people are like no one is worried with like I don't know like Spotify load time, right? <laughs> it's like it's an application you will will wait a little bit for it to load.
1: Y- yes, yep. you, you have you have to make sure that your bundle size is not impacting you too much. And mm-hmm. uh, for this, it, it depends. I know that if you're writing Rust uh, and compiling to WebAssembly, they have an option to exclude the standard library. Oh, uh, nice. But again, it's a difference that we can see between native world and the, the web world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are used to have much smaller modules in uh yeah. The JavaScript world and in native it's fine to have a library with tons of things yeah, yeah, um, yeah I think things will evolve as it's easier to write WebAssembly but for now it's still an issue
0: nice yeah but if you're only delivering one megabyte in your in your first uh, bundle I think that's amazing that's already comparable to, to yeah, a lot yeah. of
1: <laughs> I think it's a bit more but it's it's uh, it's fine and it's uh, so mm-hmm. the real file when when it's uncompressed it's a uh, three or four megabytes in WebAssembly it was more, in ASM.js, it was like a five or six megabytes. So it's becoming to be a lot, but compressed, mm-hmm. it's okay. And again, for an application, it's only a few high-resolution images. Nice.
0: nice. Now, slowly going to the React part, how... how I just how... love
2: that this is the Java pipe dream, right? <laughs> it's supposed to run everywhere, including in the browser. And people moved away from Java applets pretty early on. And yeah, now you're writing C++ applications and deploying them yeah. to the web. That's just cool. Isn't yeah, it, yeah. yeah,
1: isn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah, just an anecdote, I think that the first time I ran the, the bundle uh, in Chrome in the, in the debugger, and I could see the the output of the console, not in C++, but in Chrome. I was like, oh, that's uh, that's, that's that's the and I stop everything.
2: <laughs> Are there that's... any browsers that this doesn't work in?
1: I think that on Safari, at some point, it was uh, the support for WebAssembly was more or less uh, well. It wasn't that good, but now it's supposed to be working in Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and even Edge, uh, even if they're moving to Chromium.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sorry, I kind of preempted, uh, Lucas. No, no,
0: please. Yeah, but yeah, but if you're delivering application in Electron, you don't you don't need to for,
1: for for the GDevelop is, um, there is an online demo uh, where bundle size is important, and there is a full application, and in the case of the full application that is packaged using Electron, uh, I care even more about the size of uh, the WebAssembly module.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's really cool. So, going a little bit more to the React side of stuff, how, di- how did you uh, find React and your WebAssembly code? How did it? work together, like how did you, how are you calling WebAssembly code from React and things like that?
1: Yeah. so when, when I started working on on, on the project, I've, uh, my idea was uh, I'm going to redo some part of the app to see if it's working well, if it's scaling, if I don't have performance issue. And the first thing was, okay, I have, for example, a class called project in C++ that is defining what a game is, so containing the world structure of the game. How can I create this in a uh, JavaScript and then use it to display information, for example, about the game? So I told about bindings previously uh, that you have to write for your classes. So once you have your bindings written and the thing compiled to WebAssembly, you have a, a module that you can instantiate in JavaScript. And when it's initialized, then you can call your module dot the class of your the name of your class and you can uh, use new on it like a, an ordinary class. So my idea was I'm going to build all the window and the controls that I had in the previous application. I'm going to build them back using React, and uh, I, will store, I won't use any state management system, but I will store inside the, the state of my components the WebAssembly object that I'm creating. Uh, so for example, at the top, at, at the root of my application, I'm creating a new project and storing it into the state and then passing down two components that can use them uh, like the old C++ class.
0: Okay. So, but... The C++ stuff is not like garbage collected by by JavaScript, right? Yeah,
1: so, um. yeah, yeah. the the memory management is a pain. Uh, oh. So by a pain, I mean when you're creating something, so you're in a React component, mm-hmm. your own component did mount or now using an effect hook. You can yeah. uh, instantiate a new WebAssembly object oh, and okay. you have to be sure that Either at the destruction of the hook or when the component will unmount, you have to be sure to call module.destroy and passing your object. Otherwise, in, in the, the WebAssembly world, there is a large, you can imagine the WebAssembly as a large array containing all the memory and of the object. And there, if you don't call destroy, then the object is li- living there forever. Wow. It's a memory leak, basically. So yeah, actually React is kind of useful. When I started with Angular 1, I had a lot of problems with memory leaks, um, but it was just a prototype. When I started the real stuff in React, it was much easier because you have this lifecycle hooks, and now you have effects, Mm -hmm. and you are 100% sure that React will run it because it's really deterministic.
2: It's really interesting because the C languages do this, right? Where it's, you know, you you malloc and then free, or you... I think Objective-C had... um, I can't remember the term, but anyway, you had to release objects when you were done with them, and yeah, it's just interesting to see this where now we're getting back into the web world with WebAssembly, and people assume that it works sort of like JavaScript, where it is garbage collected, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but the it's case. not.
1: Yeah, and there, there was a proposal, I think, for integrating some kind of some kind of garbage collection to WebAssembly, because the the real issue is that when you have a JavaScript object that is uh, just a pointer to a WebAssembly object, uh, that's fine. But if this object goes out of scope, uh, then will JavaScript will, will get it. But there is no destructor like in Objective-C, C, C++, C, or Java. So the WebAssembly won't know that it has to delete this object. So we are getting back in a, in a, a bit in the field of manual memory management. Mm-hmm. But still, that's okay. It's a bit of a, you create a new thing, you delete it later. But
0: it's it's interesting that uh, so if you think about that React and the life cycles or the hooks, it's a really interesting place to to use with because you you can have very explicit like functions being called whenever something is like out of memory. So that's interesting. It's yes, a,
1: it's it's explicit, and I've even seen that as the domain uh, you know you know um, the. the We speak sometimes of Mm domain-driven design. Uh, So sometimes I'm creating a new editor in React, and I'm passing it a WebAssembly object, and I'm like, okay, this editor is more or less representing my object, so it's natural that when I get an object, I then release it later, because, as I said, there is no state management, at least in my application. It's just natural for components to create objects that they need and to release them later. So that fits well with the idea of components in, in React. And um, it's especially good because React won't destroy your component if it's, uh, if it's uh, just moved, for example, on the screen, those kind of things. So that's where React really fits well. Um, you just have to be, again, careful about not forgetting to destroy anything.
0: That's great. So speaking about the UI now. So the UI is really impressive. And the performance of the UI is really impressive. Something that I believe most people who worked with uh, web UIs would look and say, like, mm, "This is not like naive uh, DOM manipulations or something like that." So, can you talk through like some of the issues that you came across and some of the
1: solutions that you found? Yeah, 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 sure. I have uh, several ideas in mind. The first was, it wasn't me, actually. The first is uh, that when I started the application I didn't want to rewrite all the UI components. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot for for the native application like uh, the one I had. Like, you can have context menus, you can have a list of hundreds of elements, you can have search bars, and so on. So I went to the React ecosystem, and I've looked at what is available as uh, components libraries. So I've seen that there are things like Material UI, React Toolbox, Blueprint, and much more now, I guess. And my idea was to pick some that was efficient and containing a lot of ready-made components for me, and that was customizable so that I can still have a look and feel that was more the one of a native application rather than the one of a website. In my case, I've chosen Material UI, and I've been To be be fair, I'm really impressed about the the, the quality of this library. It's working super well. You have tons of components using the material design, but also that can be customized to be like something totally different. So make sure to check it out. Uh, If you're making a a React app or just even a React website, with got splitting, it's, it's uh, lightweight and really, really well made. So I think that's one part that made, uh, that made GDevelop a big success in terms of performance, because they, they take care of it. The second thing is that at some point, I still had some issues. At, uh, one that was uh, really interesting, what I have a project manager. It's, it's a panel that's open on the left and showing the structure of your game.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, when I was closing it, I had something like one second lag uh, between the click and before it's closing. Wow! So in this case, what you can do is run the new React profiler. And it was really interesting because when you know how to use it, it's really, it's really powerful. So you, you have this chart showing on, uh, on the React profiler. And you, you, you run it. Then you click on your button that is slow. Then you stop the React profiler. And you can see all the components that have, have been re-rendered. They will be colored. And when doing this, I've seen that the whole application was colored. So in fact, every component in the application was re-rendered. So it wasn't a problem of WebAssembly is being slow or Electron is slow or whatever. No, it's a problem of you're updating the whole app, so sure, it will be slow. And the solution here was to add a should component update mm. um, or pure component if you're more into, into them. And uh, using this, you can say, okay, this closing of the panel has nothing to do with the rest of the application, so please don't re render it. And I think that's uh, that's often often the solution to, to to performance issues. I'm not an expert in it, um, but most of my time it, it was this. Oh, by the way, uh, be sure to run React in production mode because at mm-hmm. some point I was there was some kind of drag and drop between some part of the application and another, and the, there was again a lag of like one second and when bundling the application and running in production, boom it was only a few milliseconds mm-hmm.
0: so yeah that's interesting yeah not only the the flame uh, graph but also when you when you in the react debugger when you ask to see like what is being re-rendered in your screen right and then you interact with the part and you see that your whole application or like a whole like thing that has nothing to do is like re-rendering and then you and then yeah, you yeah. fine
1: tune that yeah, yeah. I, I can give you a tip that I've used is that I have windows with lots of, uh, of forms with lots of for example text fields uh, mm-hmm. for example you're editing all the variables that can be living in object so mm-hmm. it's like if you're editing a, a big JSON variables can be nested um, so you can have maybe hundreds of text fields that are shown and it's really webish and uh, laggy when you, you, know, you write a character and you have to wait for half a second before it's separating on screen. And in this case, it's because, again, I was updating the whole component. So I've made a component wrapping the text field of Material UI, which mm-hmm. is called a semi-controlled text field. And the idea is you can do it, uh, you can take a look at the, the source code in, in GDevelop, but it's really simple. It's just a component that takes as a prop the, the value then when you make a change, it's not changing it's not calling an unchange method. It's updating the state, its own state, with the new text, so that it's super easy because there is only one text field to update. Mm-hmm. So you're back at native speed. And then when you press enter or blur the field, then you call the onchange that will update the, the components. So it's just differing updates. Mm-hmm. And doing this, I think that uh, I, I improved a lot of the application because I'm using a lot of text fields.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Or, or even a debounce if you don't want to use yeah, or,
1: or, it. Yeah, or debounce. At least make sure that uh, that's, that's why they, they're making React suspense, by the way. Make yes. sure that user interaction is always the, the priority, and then do the rest of the updates.
0: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's in their roadmap to deal with that. Like, you can have set states that are more important than others.
1: Oh yeah, right. yeah. They are making things that are already uh, so far ahead of what we are thinking about that uh, sometimes yeah. uh, I think that yeah, yeah, they have they have thought about it uh, a lot.
0: Yeah, this is this is a really interesting one. It's a it's a simple one uh, that sometimes we need to like when we're doing forms and stuff we are updating things on change and like look at your application and, and maybe you, you don't need change maybe you only need like focus or like on lose focus on blur or on enter and things like that so try to update state less write the global state of your whole component less this is a mm-hmm. really good yeah exactly yeah so i've also seen that there's a lot of like editable like lists and trees so how did you go? That is like a known pain point in React, right?
1: So yeah, yeah, uh, rendering tons of objects—it's uh, always a pain, especially in a browser, because at some point the browser will be too slow to render 100 mm-hmm. or 1,000 of elements. So here again, the solution was another nice uh, library called uh, React Virtualized, and mm-hmm. there is no React Window—is uh, is that called? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, So the idea is to virtualize your list so that they are only showing, uh, they are only rendering in the DOM what is shown on the screen. So that instead of having a list of objects that is 100 of elements, you only have 10 elements that are rendered into the DOM.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Nice. That's virtualization. I think that's... uh, something that could maybe even be backed into the browsers at some point uh, because there are still a bit of issue if you scroll really quickly. You can see empty faces in your list. Uh, so that makes things a bit uh, a bit webish uh compared to a native application where you don't have these issues. But it's all right. It's all right.
0: Yeah, that's nice. I saw that you're also using a tree, the
1: sortable. Yeah, it's called uh, React Sortable. I can't remember the name.
0: I, I think it is. I
1: think it is. Yeah. yeah um, react Sortable. Yeah, React yeah. Sortable H-O-C. Um, let, uh, bear with me. I want to be sure about the name of the Sortable Tree. Um, so yeah, there is uh, this library called React Sortable Tree that uh, allows you to, to have um, a tree of nodes that you can reorganize. And in mm-hmm. my case, it was useful because I think that at some point in every complex application, you have to display a tree, a, a, a file tree, a tree of, in my case, of events that compose the, the rules of the game can be some business logic that we want to run, components that are nested into each other. And in the, the case of React Table Tree, the approach is really interesting because it's showing a tree, but it's in fact a list that is virtualized. So mm-hmm. every node that you see that is connected to the parents, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually a, a list, a flat list that is rendered, and nice. the connections between the nodes are rendered next to the nodes, but they are just rows in a list that is virtualized, so again, in my case, for example, even if a game I have thousands of uh, events describing the roots of the game, then I only need to show maybe 50 or even less on the on the screen
0: that's really nice that's really nice yeah really smart algorithm <laughs> this.
1: I took a look at how it was made, and I was like, yeah, of course, that's the, the way to go. So you have a, a tree-like view, but it's, it's a virtualized. Maybe, I've not checked, but maybe that's how it's done now in, uh, in mm. the VS Code or Atom, the, you know, the, the file mm. explorer on the left. They might be using some kind of uh, virtualization. Yeah.
0: That's really interesting because the application is really it's a complicated domain, lots of things are, are, are working, lots of, uh, lots of things are happening, and the, the animations are really good, and you didn't do like any like esoteric performance. that's really interesting. It's like just like debug your tree, do some should component update smartly, use good libraries for big lists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
1: Yes, that, that was a bit my idea, that uh, after working with React and React Native for a while, I was like, the libraries and, and the, system, the ecosystem is ready for, for ambitious applications like this. Mm-hmm. I can see most of what I was doing in Native be done using web technologies. And without huge hacks, uh, to, to be honest, I'm trying to think about if there is something fishy in the code base, but uh, no, honestly, honestly, it's mostly classical React, but with a bit of performance improvement on the text fields, make sure that you don't render mm-hmm. everything, and virtualization, um, yeah, that's mostly it.
0: That's great. Did you consider not using the DOM at all, using like WebGL or using Canvas, or are you using it some parts of your application?
1: Yes, there there is this game engine called uh, GoDot. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I remember seeing at some point that they they run the m compiler on top of the editor, uh, which is already using OpenGL, or at mm-hmm. least it's a custom toolkit, and it was rendering in the browser. So that was a real case of I'm taking something in a, in a native code base and putting it entirely on the web. I don't know if they want to continue like this. I still think that an approach with DOM and React is more efficient uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, because the, the push of React for making interfaces is, I think, really interesting components that are being updated and whole the lifecycle it's really well designed and I've, I think that we are going to see even more improvements uh, as the years are, are coming. So sometime I was like, maybe I should rewrite part of the application using WebAssembly to make it even faster. But that's the interface, and so far it's working well. So also, of course, the level editor that is uh, showing the objects and everything mm-hmm. is done using pixie.js, so rendering using WebGL. But it's natural because it's a level editor, mm-hmm. and it's the same library I'm using to render games on, uh, in browsers when you export or preview them. So here, I still think that there, there is only object that you, can, you want to display and move on the space, so you can can go with WebGM. Yeah,
0: that's nice.
1: Yeah, Pixie it's P-I-X-Y, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Do you have any other questions, Max?
2: Uh, no, I don't. Let's I see. really want to dive into this. I, I guess you <laughs> have one other question, and that is that, and, and this kind of harkens back to mscripten and LLVM and getting to WebAssembly. So any LLVM language that you want, you can write and have it, compiled to WebAssembly?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. I've only used C++. I think that's right. the main use case. C is working, and possibly anything that compiled to a, an LLVM intermediate representation right. should then be compiled in WebAssembly or anything. And uh, yeah, speaking of other language, I've seen this interesting assembly script language. It's a, a more or less TypeScript script uh, mm-hmm. with a bit more of type of annotation that can, com- that can be compiled to WebAssembly. And uh, it's lightweight and, yeah, maybe at some point I could rewrite part of the game engine, which is in JavaScript, in AssemblyScript or something like this, right. so that I could now have games that are running in JavaScript, WebGL, and WebAssembly. <laughs> that's the next Very thing. cool.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
2: Triplebyte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com/react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a one thousand dollars signing bonus. Well, uh, Lucas, you started this show, so you can go <laughs> ahead, take us into picks.
0: All right. So, do you want to start with your pick, Max?
2: Sure. So, let's see. So, this week I am going to PodFest, which is a podcasting conference in Orlando, Florida, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm actually flying to Orlando tonight as we record this. Nice. Um, and yeah, it should be it should be really fun. I'm assuming I'm going to see a whole bunch of people that I've you know seen at the other podcasting conferences. But yeah, and I also have a, a couple of friends that are speaking, so really looking forward to it. And so this Monday was my wife and I, we, we had our 14th wedding anniversary. And you know nice. so we went out to dinner, we went to kind of a nice restaurant, and then you know we, we went to a romantic movie, and that was Alita Battle Angel. So it was a terrific movie. It was so good. So I'm gonna pick that as well. I guess it's based on a graphic novel, and I've been trying to figure out where to get a copy of it. But I don't want like a hard physical copy. I just want a, something I can read on my iPad. But yeah, uh, the movie was terrific, and uh, I'm really hoping they make more of those. I'm gonna pick that.
0: Nice. Yeah. So let me tell my picks for uh, for the day. So usually I, I I always have like a programming software related picks, but this time is different because now I have a newborn baby here at home so I've been a hundred percent of my time with her mm-hmm. like this podcast is the only time I'm not with her she is the most delicious thing in this world so I've been mostly doing baby stuff and so my non-development pick is a lot of time I talk to people. I've been living in the United States for like a, about like one year and a half. A lot of time I talk to, to people from the United States about food. People tend to say like, oh yeah, food from around all the world is so, is so good. American food is not that good. So my pick today is like American food is amazing. I'm having a lot of like American breakfast. Mm-hmm. The American breakfast sausage with two eggs this is food from heaven directly to us. <laughs> so this is the best meal one can have. Is like a good sausage with two eggs and toast. This is amazing. Uh, I love the American cuisine. So that's my pick for today.
2: Uh, uh, I'm just going well, to throw, throw in on that. Skip the toast. I've been doing keto. That's it. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've been diabetic for, what, like 13 or 14 years. I was diagnosed when I was 26. Oh, wow. And anyway, the keto has been the only thing that's worked for me. So (laughs) all the medication, you know, it'll get it down and then, uh, you know, get my blood sugar down. And then for whatever reason, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't maintain. It doesn't keep up. And uh, sticking on keto has worked for me every time that I have done it and stayed on it. So
0: that's, yeah, that's great.
2: So Great a plus story. one on that, you know, the bacon and eggs or sausage and egg, right? yeah. That that's right. that that's gold. <laughs> I love that stuff. This is really good.
0: Yeah, today we did like two eggs with a really good sausage. The ones that that you cut like and do like small patties. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot ask for anything different.
2: I know, right? And then if you're <laughs> if you're looking at world cuisine, you can hybridize anything with a hamburger. So, just right. saying. Just saying. <laughs> So get some of that American in there. That's
0: amazing. Yeah. All right. So Florian, do you have any picks for
1: for the week? I have some. Um, I guess I'll go back to <laughs> deployment related picks, please. <laughs> uh, so well, we already talked about the, about them, but make sure to check out Material UI if you want to create a really nice application using React or even websites. Speaking of website, I've been using Gatsby. Uh, JS, it's also really nice, and I'm impressed about the, the experience that you, you have with it. If you want to make game, same. You take a take a look at pixie.js or, or Phaser, or the, the whole WebGL world is really interesting uh, these times. Yeah, and I think that it's um, most most of, of my picks are things that we talked about, but that's what I'm passionate about.
2: Cool. I'm just curious, uh, you know, if, if I wanted to follow you on Twitter or, you know, read a blog post or anything, you, know, do you do you have any of that out there?
1: So if, if you want to, to follow a bit my adventures and see uh, tips and any any blog posts that I'll post, uh, make sure to take a look at my Twitter. So it's uh, Florian Rival. And also go to FlorianRival.com uh, where I'll be posting uh, soon, I hope, a blog post about uh, things like performance in React and all that things that we've discussed. Uh, I think that rather than being embedded into the source code of GDevelop, I'd like to, to make a few articles about them. And yeah, I'll also post when I'm going to conference to talk more about it. So feel free to follow me. Nice. That's great.
0: All right, that's it. That wraps the episode. See everyone next week.
2: Bye. Bye.